This afternoon's Bible study is uh, giving it a title, God Working to Magnify and Glorify His Own Name, Part 1. That uh, God sometimes has to do when we're not doing what we're supposed to do. He has a process and He has an expectation. And He had chosen Israel for a reason. Just like a lot of times we give birth to children or whatever, we have expectations as to what we want them to do or be. But our name is in our children. They carry our name. Yes. Yes. And if, as we've been adopted into the family of God and as Israel was, they were chosen of God. So they bear his family name. And for his namesake, that word namesake, means, uh, for biblical purposes, means uh, a reputation. Uh, uh, in the Hebrew idiom, it means protect to protect one's reputation for their namesakes. A Hebrew idiom is to protect one's reputation yes. or possibly vouch for by one's reputation. So that's why God is very guardian of his name. And he tells us not to use his name in vain and about Jesus has a name above other names, but we've been profaned God's name and put a lot of commonality in it and brought it to the per- place to where we shouldn't have it. Uh, we're reading out of the Isaiah, where I got this from. We've been studying chapter 48 of Isaiah, the 48th chapter first through the second verse and the ninth verse is where we get our study from. He says, Him Ye this, O house of Jacob, which are called by my name of Israel, which is called by the name of Israel, I'm sorry, and are to come forth out of the waters of Judah, which swear by the name of the Lord, and make mention of the God of Israel, but not in truth, nor in righteousness. For they call themselves of the holy city, and stay themselves upon the God of Israel. The Lord of hosts is his name. Remember, he didn't just give that name out. Moses couldn't identify with God because he says, Who art thou? What, what's your name? Who shall I tell him and send him? Because he didn't know the name of God. God's name is tied to some of the attributes and characteristics of God. As I was telling you about a reputation, or the name is a reputation of who you are. Mm-hmm. And he says his name is Holy. And the Hebrew people during their time, they, it was so holy that they wouldn't write it so you could pronounce the name of God or speak the name of God. But now we curse in the name of God, swear in the name of God, and use the name casually. We profane that name. The ninth verse says, For my name's sake I will defer my anger, and for my praise I will refrain for thee, that I cut thee off, not off. In other words, because of his plan and his purpose and for his reputation of who he was, he wouldn't cut them off. He wouldn't let his anger go to the point where to completely annihilate him because of his name and reputation, because he's a merciful God. He's known to be a merciful God. And Moses had told him at one time when he was destroying the children of of Israel, because they had did some things to arouse his anger. 
And Moses said, well, Lord, I stand in the breach, you know, don't do this. Or the people will say, you destroyed them all because you couldn't bring them through or bring them out of the wilderness or through the wilderness. And so God relented from destroying the people at that time. Throughout the Bible, we see God does things for his namesake or for the namesake of someone else. What he did for Solomon was because of the name of because of David for his father's sake to do something for someone else's sake to show you about a name and a reputation how it goes. We know that have you ever in real life you know you know met someone with the name Jezebel? Yeah. Women don't name their girls uh, Jezebel because of the reputation that name carries with it, yes. what that name means and, and what's the meaning of that name. The book of Proverbs, the 22nd chapter in the first verse, and the King James says a good name is to be chosen rather than great riches. The Amplified says a good name that is is earned by honorable behavior, godly wisdom, moral courage, and personal integrity is more desirable than great riches. It adds, and that's that parentheses adds things that are not in there. And so it's adding, a, what's a good name? In, in other words, it show, it gives the Bible standards of what a good name is. It's not a popular name because we know that's why the earth was destroyed. The previous earth was destroyed because during that time there were many men of renown. Today, we have a lot of preachers and entities leading mega churches and are well-known preachers or whatever with a very popular or reputable name, but it may not fall into this category here as to what the Bible says is a good name. Yes. That They may fit into secular categories to be popular, but it says it is earned by honorable behavior, yes. godly wisdom, moral courage, and personal integrity. All members of God's church have inherited a family name for more valuable than any surname. Any Anybody out there, you pay, pay to wear their jerseys, to wear their name on your jerseys, on your, their sneakers, uh, the vehicle you drive, you're looking for a name. A lot of people go in the store and buy a name brand cereal. I'm, but the other people say, well, this generic brand is just as good. The store brand is just as good or whatever. Mm-hmm. Some people shop by brand names. That's why a lot of people say, if it's going to have my name on it, that's staking my reputation to who I am on it. It has to come up to a certain quality. It has to bear certain bear certain characteristics or attributes. Last week, Dr. Dre had asked Marjorie Taylor Greene to stop using his name. She was going to sue her through the attorneys. And they did that with a lot of people during the Trump administration because they say, well, we don't want our name or our music associated with that individual because of what they represent, their attributes or their character or whatever. We don't want our name associated with that. I wish the church was, would be more a little bit particular of who they associate with or who associated, who is associated with their name or what company they keep. And as children of God, 
we bear that responsibility. If we name the name of Jesus Christ, the Bible says, depart from iniquity those that name the name of Jesus Christ. In other words, we have a certain obligation or responsibility to God for certain characteristics, traits, appearances, as the Bible commands us to abstain from evil appearances. That's because of the name that we bear. When Moses was going, uh, taking the children of Israel through the wilderness, and God sent the messenger of the covenant to be with them, he says, be careful and don't sin because my name is in him. He's not going to tolerate your sin because of God's name. I think I, I wish we had the integrity and the moral accountability to be more like that, to be godful of who or what we're doing because of whose children we are. Yeah. And we bear the Lord's name. The reason he was telling Israel this or Judah this and the children of Israel in, in Isaiah is because they had gone into idolatry and a whole lot of other practices and they were attributing their stuff, uh, some things that they had did, they attributed to the idols or the things that they were serving instead of giving God the glory and magnifying God. So God said for his namesake, what he was doing, he was going to magnify himself and glorify his own name because they weren't doing what they supposed to do. That's why it's the church. We should glorify God. We should magnify God. That's what Jesus did. He didn't make himself of a reputation. He always gave God the glory. And that's why we were created was to glorify and give God the glory and magnify and lift him up. So we have an awesome responsibility to uphold and honor the nobility and the dignity that comes with the name of God. I, you know, I tell my sons and things, son, I, you represent a, your, in your name is who we are as a family, as the Jacksons. I don't want, I wouldn't want people coming back and say, well, that was your son. I seen him with his pants hanging all off of him or whatever. No, I don't want you with your pants sagging and you disrespecting other people. What you're doing is a reflection of the family name, that name that you carry. A lot of people, after they go through a divorce or whatever, the husband will change the, the tell the wife that she can't use his name any longer, or the wife says she don't want to carry his name any longer, and she go back to her maiden name. Mm -hmm. That's because I don't want to be associated with, with what that name means anymore. Mm -hmm. I don't want to be associated with who or what they are, what they represent. Uh, and, and it's... Hillary Clinton, to, before one of the elections, she was saying about family values and different things, and she had Rodham was her maiden name. And they was calling her Hillary Rodden Clinton, but she even wanted, when you see people with that hyphenated name where they have their maiden name, they use their maiden name and then take the husband's last name, they're named by two names, like hers was Hillary Rodden Clinton. But she dropped the rod and stopped using it and just says Hillary Clinton because she was carrying her husband's name. You notice that when you're watching television or reading and the news or hearing the news, if they use two last names, that mean the 
that wife is still identifying also by her maiden name that she hadn't fully taken the husband's name. There's a lot of power in the name. Eve, Adam called Eve. Adam named all of the animals. The name used to be a name meant something. Today, we are falling by the wayside with those names. The reputation we create for our church, uh, the business institutions, uh, whatever legacy we pass on to our brothers and sisters and children, some of the things of the failings of this church of people associated with who this church is comes from what this church used to be, the pastor, the membership of what this church, all of the reputations they had, people remember the church by that. That's why I say, if you go somewhere, you bearing Bible Way's name. When you say you belong to Bible Way Church, that means that all what it stands for. So you need to represent that as what God would want you to represent him as a child of God, a part of his family. What you're doing, what you're saying, what's coming out of your mouth. The New Testament tells us about foolish talking and jesting and all of the attributes and characteristics wrapped up in that name makes the reputation of that church. What is the church known for? And that's what God stands up for his name, the reputation of his name. Uh, a familiar example is in Psalms 23 and 3. It says, he leaded me in the paths of righteousness for his name's sake. Why does he lead us in the paths of righteousness? It's for his name's sake. Because of his reputation, if we obedient and follow him, that these are the results that would come thereby as we analyze and break down that 48 chapter more we see the things that the children of Israel couldn't have because they wasn't obedient to his instructions and they wasn't walking as children of God he says uh hearken unto me O Jacob and Israel my call I am he, I am the first, and I am also the last. And he's talking of the prophecies and things he did. But listen at this 18th verse. He says, Oh, that thou hadst hearkened to my commandments, then had thy peace been as a river, and thy righteousness as waves of the sea. Thy seed also had been as the sand, and the offspring of thine bowels, like the gravel thereof, his names should not have been cut off nor destroyed from before me. Go ye forth out of Babylon, flee ye from the Chaldeans with a voice of singing, declare ye and tell this, utter it even to the end of the earth. Say ye, the Lord had redeemed his servant Jacob, and they thirsted not when he led them through the deserts. He caused the waters to flow out of the rock for them. He clave the rock also, and the waters gushed out. There is no peace, saith the Lord, unto the wicked. The troubles and the afflictions and things they were going through was because of their disobedience. If they had followed his commandments and instructions, they, their peace would have been as a river. It would flow as a river. It would have been continual peace all of the time from day to day because they were led for righteousness' sake, in the path of righteousness because 
of his name, that they were his children and they were being led by the Holy Spirit. That's why he gave his church the Holy Spirit to guide them and lead them into all truths. Yes. If we follow the Holy Spirit, we would have unsurmountable blessings that he says, I wish that you would prosper in being ill. The wealth and the prosperity that comes from being obedient children of God glorifies who God is. That's why he says, the devil says, does Job honor thee for not? Or is it because you have blessed his hand and given him everything? Even Satan knows that all of these things flow from God. But we as a people in the church are attributing things to themselves that their own hand had given them power to get wealth. That these people who they wear their name on the backs of their jerseys and their tennis and all of these things, these are their gods. Those idols are their gods, and that's who they give the glory and honor to and not to the true God who had created all and done all. They're giving credit to where credit doesn't belong and God says he's not going to share his glory with anyone. And so now I have to glorify myself because you're not doing it. So that's one of the things that happens with God's people. The reason our paths are not bright, we should praise him at all times and in everything with prayer and supplication, making our request known to him. So when we do receive these things, we're thankful to him and continually to Praises upon our lips is unto God. Yes, and if not, he, Jesus says, if you don't praise him, he can have those, these rocks to cry out and praise him. Mm-hmm. Let everything that hath breath give praise and glory to God. Yes. What does it mean by his namesake there uh, in that 23rd Psalm? It says, for The phrase means for the sake of showing his abilities and his character. So if that ability and character is in us, that's a reflection of who God is. That's why Jesus said, if you've seen me, you've seen the Father. So that's why he gives us the ability, he says, to those that believe believe this way, He had given you the power to become the sons of God. The power is in our walk. The power is in our talk. It's in our deeds. Everything you do, God enables you to do that, to represent, to say, yes, I am a son of God. But we can't do things that are not according to God because as his children, when we do things that are not according to the right way, we cause, I I don't want to pull it out now, but since I'm here, we cause God's name to be blasphemed. People see us, and you remember I was telling you about that reputation that we have, and I want to know what type of reputation do you have? What type of reputation? What do people say about you? What do people say about us? You remember he asked Peter and them, he says, who do men say I am? Say, some say Elijah, some say Jeremiah, some say this prophet or not. Well, apparently he was walking by the oracles and speaking by the word of God because of all who people, Peter said, they associated him with. 
All of them was prophets or preachers of God, even though they wasn't he wasn't any of those people, but they spoke of him as a prophet, as a preacher. You know, the Jehovah Witnesses does say that he is a God. They don't recognize him as the only and the one and the true living God. But they even have made the concession now that Jesus is a God. They don't say the God, but God says he's the one and only God, the true God. So for convenience sake, it's like with the Catholic Church or whatever. But I was telling you, I, I just wanted to pull this out. and I, I would need to go back where I was. But when I was talking about King David, at some time our actions, we know David was a man after God's own heart. Yeah. But with, with something that David did in his life, Second mm-hmm. Samuel tells us about that. And a lot of people that's pro-abortion or whatever don't like this, this, this when, when people use this verse in this way. Because of David's ways, we see abortion or the killing of a child. We see those things. Because of David's, what he did with Bathsheba. And in killing of Uriah, Second Samuel, the 12th chapter and the 14th verse, it says, Howbeit, because by this deed thou hast given great occasions of the enemies of the Lord to blaspheme, and the child also that is born unto thee shall surely die. Because this, what you have done, it's known to people, and now this is associated with my name. I can't raise, I won't rear this child up as to, to bear my name because this is a child of fornication and of adultery. So I'm going to have to kill this child. David prayed for a different result, but because of God's namesake, he says that's why he was doing that, because of his name. Now, to show you he still loved David, and David was his child, he even told David, the sword won't ever leave your house because of doing this, David. You'll have wars and problems the rest of your life. And what happened was, that he says, I'll replace, he was, he gave him Jedediah, which was Solomon. Mm-hmm. Solomon was born unto Bathsheba, and Solomon was a great king. But because of that episode and what would have been present, that God didn't allow that. Now, now, let me not get too far away from the fact that not because of what people say or think, are we to act, but we are motivated by pleasing God in what it reflects upon as God says. Mm-hmm. See, because sometimes what people say or think, let me say, that it, let me, this sounds paradoxical, but it's kind of, uh, 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 you've heard me talk about paradox mm-hmm. and a dichotomy of things. Let me use an illustration of the same thing in a different way. When Joseph was thinking how to put Mary away privately, because she was with child when they came together, he was engaged, but he found out she was with child. And that God told Joseph not to divorce or put Mary away because what is conceived of her is in the Holy Ghost. 
maybe this is because of the Psalms of the Beatitude, blessed of you where men say all manner of evil against you and speak of, against you and speak all kind of bad things against you. Because of that event, she was ill spoken of. She was called some pretty bad names and I could uh, imagine it's like the scarlet letter of the shame that she had to carry around all of her life because of that 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 incident. Mm-hmm. Let me not call it an incident. That's the immaculate conception. Mm-hmm. But later on in life, we'll see what Solomon, what David's son would have had to bear if God would have allowed that child to be born to go on to be someone great. See, because it would have been the truth what people were saying that the child was born of fornication and that he was had a, a wrong start. But you remember Jesus says, all manner of sin will be forgiven against man except blasphemy of the Holy Ghost. Yes. Some people, as a accusation against Jesus, when they were trying to uplift or set themselves right, they told him, we were not born of fornication. Didn't he tell Jesus that? In other words, they was calling him a bastard child. Because they were saying, your mother was pregnant when she married your father, that she was born outside of wedlock. Mm -hmm. But God had told Joseph the truth. What's conceived of her is of the Holy Ghost. She hadn't did anything wrong. You hadn't did anything wrong. This is part of my plan. We need to really get a revelation. We need to find out from God the accusations we hurl and what we say. So what they were speaking against was the Holy Ghost of, of an action or a work of the Holy Ghost, which would be an unforgivable sin. He told them that in Mark when they were attributing Jesus healing people to Beelzebub. When we speak against the truth, we need to be careful. Ecclesiastes 7 and 1 says, and I'm going to go on and get off that. He says, a good name is better than precious ornament, the day of death than the day of one's birth. He says, a good reputation is more valuable than the most expensive perfume, and the day of one dies is better than the day he is born. Coming into life is not as good as going out of life, because what did you do during your lifetime? That's the most important thing. What did you do? After you got here. When you got here, you didn't have any marks against you. You had a clean slate. So what's going on on that slate, that's not the most important thing. It's how do you die? What did you make of it? Did you magnify God's name? Psalms 8, 1 through 4. 8, 1 through 4 says, O Lord, our Lord, how excellent is thy name in all the earth. Who has set thine glory above the heavens? Out of the mouth of babes and sucklings hast thou ordained strength because of thine enemies, that thou mightest steal the enemy and the avenger. When I consider thine heavens, the work of thine fingers, the moon and the stars which thou hast ordained, what is man that thou art mindful of him? We see that in creation. That's why I come in a lot of times and ask, isn't it a beautiful day out there? How wonderful a day this is. 
even on rainy days and thunderstorms and all of the tornadoes and the devastation in Arkansas and Alabama and California and all that, we see the power and the might and the awesomeness of God in creation. See, creation reveals God, and here the psalmist talks about all these things, and God himself talks about this in the 48th chapter. He says that all this from the beginning, he had told us this, and he had created all things. It's in the chapter before that about him creating the heavens and the earth. He created the sun, the stars, all of the things that he had created and all that has happened, hadn't he told you that before it had happened? He had prophesied that. And he says, behold, I tell you of new things. So do you ever look up at the stars and see God in that creation? Uh, the, a big type of thunderstorm, just in the power of that storm or whatever, and that God's controlling those storms. And that's just an inkling, not even an inkling of the power of God. The devastating winds of those tornadoes that came through Alabama the other day that killed nine people. It was turning over tractor trailers and destroying homes, a path of that storm. And the God that was directing that storm, he has that power. That's the do you see God in do you see God in all of creation? Does everything make you mindful of God? Yes. Looking at these things. The one commentary translate the second phrase of that verse in Psalms. It says, whose majesty is rehearsed above the heavens. In other words, the author is commenting that the psalm is saying that day after day, man has the awesome splendor of God's power displayed before him. Thus, God has invested with the heavens with glorious splendor to direct the mind of man to the creator's majesty. This idea accepts that he is greater than even his creation demonstrates. Creation, he says, this is the day, this is the night. There's, he set the seasons, he set the stars. And he said, it's going to continue this way until he changes it. He's going to wrap the earth up. He's going to wrap all that he has created up. And how do we have summer, winter, fall, and spring? They never get out of order. Some of them may have a different extremity in it, like here in January. Here we've had seventy and eighty degree days, and it's but it's still winter is winter, and follows spring, follows summer, follows fall. Sun in the night, none of that is distorted. That's order to the creation. That's why I say, what do our minds wonder about? And do you start, are, are you starting to see God in everything? Mm -hmm. yes. Solomon wrote about the ants. Do you sometimes look at creation of the ants, of the animal world, mm -hmm. and see the workings of God in them? That way, when you see everything that's in creation, it makes you mindful of God. Are you becoming more mindful of God? That's the majesty and the splendor of God. That's magnifying God. That's the manifestation of his presence. That's what the whole creation is waiting for, is the manifestations of the sons of God. When these things start seeing 
the sons of God coming forth, they are obedient to the sons of God. You remember the seed, he says, peace be still. The wind ceased, the, the seas got calm. He says, what manner of man is this that the wind and the sea and the stars, the, all these things obey him? See, because Joshua, when fighting a battle, when he's in, in sync with God, when he's at peace with God, that peace that flows like a river, and he asks of God, God, I need more time to do this. And God says, speak, and Joshua speaks to the sun, and it stands still. The sun stands still and give Joshua time to complete what he wanted to complete and getting accomplished for the Lord. I can do all things through Christ who strength. When we get in unison with God, that's why he says, if you'd have taken heed to my commandments, your peace would have been as a river. So when I see lack in our lives, when I see lack in the church, when I see disorder and chaos in the church, I examine myself and say, God, what am I doing wrong? Yes. Yes. What is it I need to take out of my life? Yes. What excellent a glory do we see in the earth and the sky. Now, each and every one of us, yesterday was communion, but today we start anew to examining ourselves and what are we meditating on? Are we meditating on the name of God? If you're meditating on the name of God, you meditate on the things of God. Do we consciously, consciously realize that there is a creator and that it, any creator is greater than his creation? And what he creates. And so in, in parents, we know that there's a creator creating that has this is an intelligent design. And with the magnitude of that creator, this is his word instructing me. So he has my individual lives in his hand, and he's creating me in his image and his likeness. That's what he says in the word of God, because I am a child of God. You have to have faith to believe that. That faith, that faith as a grain of mustard seed, it starts to magnify God. That faith increases. That's ever-increasing faith. As your faith increases and gets you closer to God. Do we see it in our creator's power? Do we see the order, the beauty? His providential care for those that are his children. Everything that's happened in your life, can you see that it was God doing as he said in this 10th verse? He says, for my name's sake, I will defer my anger. And for my praise, will I refrain for thee that I cut thee not off. But behold, I have refined thee, but not with silver or as silver. I have chosen thee in the furnace of affliction. And in other words, all of this, God is designed to bring me back to him. Because when I went astray before I was afflicted, that God is chastening me. That this is not the wrath of God. This is God making a course correction in my life. Causing me to return to him, to repent to come out of Babylon, come out of the world, because he's, he was using Cyrus as his chosen vessel. They were in Babylon, and what they needed to do was come out of Babylon, go back to Israel or Judah, and follow God, 
and God would bless them, there'll be a great restoration. Their peace would be restored because God, he restoreth my soul. In other words, he give me back vitality. That's part of that 23rd Psalm. He restoreth my soul. He leadeth me by still waters. In other words, waters that I can drink from. That his word is waters, the sprinkling of that water, that water cleanses me, it refreshes me, but it also nourishes me. Yes. It gives me strength. It's regenerating, right? right? On a hot day you get a nice cool drink of water. Man, it it because we're ninety eight percent water, but it also the spiritual man, what does it do? We need to talk about his name in the spiritual man. Some measure of this will occur if we seek him. That's why I say you have to seek God. That's why he tells us to seek after him. We start need to start thinking about all of these things and meditating on him. The world's going to have you busy on the in the world, the things of the world. All of these things, your awareness is, is, is not conscious of God's presence. We need to start being more aware it, that we're in his presence all of the time. And he's always present. And, and he quickens us. He makes us alive. But we die to the world and the things of the world. Pleasing of the people of the world. After a while, all of those things don't matter anymore. He must increase and I must decrease because you're living now for the glory of God in the Magnify, magnify him. In other words, make his presence known to everybody. Bring him to the forefront where he belongs. He has to have the preeminence in all things. He's the first and he's the last. God intends this psalm to direct our thinking toward his greatness and man's puny insignificance. We pale in significance to anything in God and his creation. That's one of the things that that psalm is designed for. Yet that majestic, awesome God is glorifying himself in man by creating him in him the desire to be like him. Don't you not envy God, but with all of this as a child does with his father, don't you want to be like him? Don't you want to be as God is? As children of God, we should desire to be as our Father. We should desire to hate sin just like God hates sin. We should desire the things of God. He puts that, that gets stronger in us as we draw closer to God. He has chosen what is weak and foolish, even by the world's standards, to appreciate and respect his glory and his name. You start being more thankful and more grateful to God for just the little things. Yes. The little things matter. You know, you don't get so like the people now. They throw away coins and dollars and things because it's not any money. It's no value to those things. But you start seeing its significant opinions, very significant. Yes. The yes. smallest things. It's like the widow that was sweeping for the two mites. Because it was part of hers. We start seeing why Jesus told the disciples to pick up all of the fragments and place them in a basket so there won't be any waste. God is not a waste for God. 
But the churches and the preaching and teaching is teaching contrary to those things now. It's in us, and even the older people accepting some of the teachings and the doctrines nowadays that's getting us very far away from God. The church has become hypocritical, and that's what he's talking to, a hypocritical church that should have known God, but didn't know God because of wrong teaching and a seducing spirits that was bringing, causing them to drift away. That's why the rite of Hebrew was talking to the people because the Hebrew, the people during that time were drifting away from God. The church was apostatizing, even at that earliest time. Rightly understood, this is truly a humbling meditation, and that's why he tells us to meditate on his word day and night, and we see how weak and frail we are. We begin to understand how insignificant are we in that if we have God taking notice of us, as this says, what is man that thou art mindful of him? Why do you think about man? Like David says, Lord, why would you choose my family? Why would you choose me? Instead, the world have it, God... You, you, that you're important to God, that you're the most important thing in that self-centeredness gets in. Everybody's pushing everybody back and shouldering themselves up. And that's why God has to abase them because of the mindset that they have. First John 3, 1 through 3, it says, Behold, what man of love the Father hath bestowed upon us that we, sh- we should be called the sons of God. Therefore the world knoweth us not, because he knew, because it knew him not. Beloved, now are we the sons of God, and do it not yet appear what we shall be. But we know that when we, uh, when he shall appear, we shall be like him, for we shall see him as he is. And every man that had this hope in him purified himself, even as he is pure. And as I was telling you about people following after people with a great name and popularity and they want to belong to this big mega church and they want the finer things in life or whatever and they want to be recognized with these things. Uh, that because they bring them honor a notoriety. Even in the church, a lot of people there used to be want to be called reverend, but now they want to be called doctor and apostle and all of these names, bishop, and because they want honor and notoriety for themselves. They want to be associated with a big-name university. I graduated from Harvard. I graduated from this college because of what that name means or what team, you know, you want to belong to the winning team. You want to be known as a winner. Yet the greatest name that anyone could possibly bear has come to us that we don't, it's unbidden. In other words, Jesus Christ has given us a name. In other words, that's why we get a new name in him in glory. Because we are the sons of God. As I just now read, he says, beloved, now are you the sons of God. He said, now you can cry, Abba, Father. That's why I keep telling you all the time about that Our Father prayer. Everybody can't pray that prayer because God is not everybody's father. So when you're adopted into his family, 
Now that you have a name, you of that family name, he says, let everybody that name the name of, of Christ depart from iniquity. So that's commensurate with this verse here in First John 3, 1 through 3, when it says, and every man that had this hope in him purified himself as he's pure. In other words, I can't say these things anymore because of my family name. I can't lie. I can't cheat. I can't curse. You know, Peter didn't swear anymore. Hopefully, he purged that out of your vocabulary has to be changed. You have to become a new man. You're a new creation in Christ Jesus. I can't talk like that anymore. I can't go to these places anymore. My body is no longer mine. I don't drink these things. I don't put this into my body. I don't live this way because I'm called a child of God. Now, I belong to that family. I have to uphold a family name. Thus, John is exhorting his readers to remember their privileges in bearing that awesome name. Why are you doing this? Well, let me tell you the hope that lieth in me. It's because I'm a child of God. And this is, my father says that I should love my enemies. I can't get with you and talk against this person, even though he's my enemy. When this thing came out last week about Joe Biden and the classified documents that was found in this place and that place, I didn't get partial in that or impartial in certain ways. As a child of God, I had to address it this way. I don't know what the documents is about. I don't understand this, but I can't defend or accuse him in this. And people will say about Donald Trump or all the documents he had, one of the lawyers for, one of the press people for Biden was saying, well, when they found these documents, it was his lawyer that brought it to the attention of the National Archives, and they found anything that they found they brought forth, whereas Trump's lawyers was refusing, and they wasn't handing these over. So I'm saying, well, I don't have a dog in this fight. It has to turn out the way it turns out. I don't know why he had them or what he had or anything about these things. But as a child of God, I have to... You know, some people was trying to defend Biden and comparing him to as to why Trump had him. And some people was trying to bring Biden down and say, see, he did the same thing. He was the worst. They didn't form the committee to investigate this and do all these things. Okay, doesn't the Bible tell us as children of God, we shouldn't get entangled in the world's affairs? So why, whyever this, whyever this, whatever or whatever reason there is that this came about, I don't have a dog in that fight, and whatever the special counsel determined, it determines it or whatever. But believe me, you, it tells what type person you are. All of this tells what type person you are. Uh, Chrysostom, a 4th century Catholic archbishop, counseled parents to give children scriptural names, urging them to tell the children stories about the person who bore that name so that as they matured, they would have something to live up to. You know, that's why you hear a lot of people named John, Mark, Luke, uh, Elijah, some of the scriptural names. 
you don't want to name your child a name like I was telling you earlier about Jezebel or something. But the other night we were watching the news, I think it was, and something happened at a man's house, and the man was named Michael Jackson. And my wife was saying his parents named him Michael Jackson. I said, well, what's wrong with the name of Michael Jackson? That This man is older than Michael Jackson. He had the name Michael Jackson way before Michael Jackson had the name. He was much older than Michael Jackson was. Now, Michael Jackson did with that name with what he did to it. But, there, you know, if I, I Google the name Emerson Jackson, and you know how many Emerson Jacksons there are here in Baton Rouge? Not, not just in the world, but here in Baton Rouge, I'm not the only one. So I have to, it's what you make of the name for yourself, your name, and you, your children are what they make of their name. So, if you're naming that person after that person, you're not living up to that person's expectations or what that person did. You don't want to name, you know, I don't name, I ain't gonna name him Adolf Hitler. Well, that was a different Hitler. But the thing is, you know, in Hispanic, it's a lot of people with that name, Jesus. Hmm. We pronounce it Jesus, but in Spanish, it's Jesus. And with J-E-S-S, but you know, if you want to go that route. But that wasn't Jesus' name till in the Aramaic tongue. But we are of that family. We're in the family of God. We're children of God, and we bear his name. We bear the name of children of God, and that's why he said he gives Jesus a name above every name. But just because you may bear that name of Jesus or Jesus, Joshua is the same as Jesus in, I think, Hebrew or whatever language, one of those languages. You'll see Joshua used interchangeably there. But it's not that you could equal that name. In other words, when God says he gave him a name above every name, it's a pronounceable name, but he's talking about Jesus, the only begotten son of God. We're living up to that in that family, but notice that we're joint heirs with him. He's our brethren. We're in the God family, the Elohim, the family of God. So it's the image. He's shaping us in the image of those in his family. So we see that there's a difference in the things of God. Like they say, snowflakes have a different identity. People have different identities. That's why I say he's going to give us a new name. So Let's keep exploring this thing about names here. Is there a paradox in what John writes when we know that in order to see God, we need to be like him? Carnally, we think to be like him, we need to see him. But that's a carnal person's thinking. God says that seeing him is not necessary as he's chosen to conduct his purposes for man through faith in his word. That's why I say we see God through the eyes of faith, through his word. You can't see an image of God. No man had seen God, and people knew in the older days you can't see God and live. He told Moses, I hide you in the cleft, but you can't see me. You can see my glory from behind. That would blow your mind to see God. That's why Jesus said, if you've seen me, you've seen the Father. Because those characteristics and attributes of God, that's the express image of the Father. I represent the Godhead. Yes. 
He has revealed what he is by his, his names and the life of Christ. By faith, we can emulate him through his spirit. That's how we emulate or imitate God is through the spirit. That's why I said those that are led by the spirit of God is the sons of God. And that's why I ask you, do you see God? Can you see God? Yeah, I can see him through the eyes of faith in his word has shown me or given me what he is. We walk by faith and not by sight. If we saw him in the flesh, our curiosity would finally be satisfied or we would be so overwhelmed by his perfection that we would give up. But is that image enough? Would that image be comprehensible? Could we comprehend that? You know, human nature works in a funny way. And, you know, the eye is never satisfied with seeing it's always going to want to see more. It's just like you're not satisfied. Money doesn't satisfy. Nope. Water is not satisfying. It's It does, but you still need more, right? right. You drink till you're full and you have enough. That doesn't satiate you. It satiates you at that time, but it's something that's fleeting. That's why beauty and looks is fleeting. That's why we don't set a permanent image of God. That's why he says, don't make any graven images of me. Don't make any likeness of me. So God's way of faith is far better. That's why he chose it that way. That's why, you know, you get more out of a book than you do seeing the movie. And that's why more people try to read the book before they see the movie. And most people tell you the book pale in comparison to the movie. Mm. You know, and it's what character you have playing the movie. The book, I forgot the guy's name who wrote uh, Jack Reacher. But did you know Tom Hanks was chosen for popularity and made that movie popular? And, man, I love watching Jack Reacher. I got it in, in, in the back of the thing because Jack Reacher, uh, never go back. Jack Reacher, never go back. I like watching both of them with Tom Cruise. When Jack Reacher, the television series, was coming out, I told my wife, well, I'm not going to watch that because, you know, Tom Cruise played the Jack Reacher for me. But she was watching it, and I, after one night I came in and she was watching I just said, I watch TV with you. I, you know, sometime I'll watch what she's watching. And I sat down and watched it, and it was good. And I liked it, and I watched it several different times because that character was more like the character in the book. You know, Tom Cruise really couldn't play Jack Reacher because Jack Reacher is like Tom Richter, whoever this guy that played it. Richter, John, Jack Reacher was a big, bulky guy, and he had that attitude and dispositions the way this guy played Jack Reacher. So he was more closer to the character. And if you read the book about Jack Reacher, Tom Cruise couldn't, really wasn't designed to play that part. The other guy played the part better. Sometimes when you see the original, even with songs and things, when the first person sang the song, like Etta James sung uh, At Last, a lot of people say, well, even though Beyonce sung it, she couldn't compare to Heather James singing the song. It's just sometimes the first, you can't duplicate the first. Uh, Malachi, I got a long ways to go. I, I'll never reach it from here. And so we're going to maybe have to wind down with this.
one or two here. He says, Malachi 3.16 provides wise counsel in befitting the times in which we live. He said, then those who feared the Lord spoke to one another, and the Lord listened and heard them. So a book of remembrance was written before him for those who fear the Lord and who meditate on his name. If you fear the Lord, read his words and stay his words and meditate on his name. He says, the people described here are pictured as meditating for the purposes of praising, imitating, and passing on their thoughts to each other. That's what Christians normally do. They look for God's good hand in every area of their lives. And that's what I say. Are you looking for God in every area of life, in everything you do and say all through the day? Everything? You can't eliminate him for nothing. When you start doing that, you start glorifying and magnifying God. It changes your life and your lifestyle. David exclaims in Psalms 34, 1-3, I will bless the Lord at all times. His praise shall continually be in my mouth. My soul shall make its boast in the Lord. The humble shall hear of it and be glad. Oh, magnify the Lord with me and let us exalt his name together. That's what we should be doing. The responsibilities and obligations is what that 48th chapter is about. Let me summarize this chapter that we're studying and to Wednesday we'll con- try to continue on. In verse 1, it's talking about the hypocritical people that I told you when I read those verses to you uh, about the people were living and saying just as they do today using God's name but they wasn't walking that way. It says, Hear ye this, O house of Jacob, which are called by the name of Israel and are come forth out of the waters of Judah, which swear by the name of the Lord and make mention of the God of Israel, but not in truth. Remember in chapter 10, I tell you, it's a hypocritical nation. That's what the church is today. Majority hypocritical. We see why in Revelations, he's, he warns and keep admonishing the churches in sub areas and telling them to repent lest he come back and fight against the church. He has to refine the church because it's become polluted or contaminated with every evil and unclean bird. All of these Trojan horses has been brought into the church. He says, for they call themselves of the holy city and stay themselves upon the God of Israel. The Lord of hosts is his name. For my name's sake, I will defer my anger. And for my praise, I will refrain from for thee that I cut thee not off. So he's going to carefully pur- purge, purify, and refine the church in which I, I was telling you about refining silver and some metals. It's a meticulous process in which it has to be closely monitored. And God closely monitors our lives and conducts it in each one as tempered to each one of us individuals. Verse 2, he tells them of what he has done that they show he ha- what he has done and know who he is and has the capacity to do. In verse 3, he tells them of their stubbornness and their rebellion. And then later on in set fourth and fifth verse, the prophecies he had made, if they studied and mindful of what would lead them to a conclusion of what is providence and sovereignty 
was. In other words, if they had been studying his prophecies and the priests had been true to their jobs, they would have understood God and they would have been in a better position than they are now. And this is, I don't know how many preachers are warning that this is just the way the church is now, that they're not following God or studying his word. We have to be good Bereans. We have to go back and study what's preached and taught to us. Go back and assimilate that into our very being. 